This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. It was International Women's Day when our Zoomer squad joined Fight Back on Monday, an opportunity to talk about older women. Some are reinventing themselves during their Zoomer years, jumping at new opportunities fueled by successful professional careers with good incomes. But there are also those elderly women more likely to find themselves in long-term care or poor and single in old age. Libby Snymer spoke about both scenarios with Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. In the context of, of why women are being celebrated, um, we've watched uh, articles about, you know, breaking the uh, the glass ceiling, women in the workforce, women in executives, women on boards. The next phase is going to be women, uh, it's already happening, taking the lead in the reinvention of aging and the problems and opportunities both. I mentioned two right away, dominating in caregiving. Uh, and, you know, we're saying that home care is the future of long-term care. Well, the nature of home care is going to be largely shaped I think, by women who are doing uh, that caregiving and, and will be leading the, um, some of the innovations and, uh, you know, in aging in place. So women are very, very much the majority of caregivers. And as you said earlier, they're unfortunately more likely to be impoverished and uh, alone because they live longer than men. So uh, that's a problem that we all have to address. So we're going to be looking at International Women's Day, I think, through that lens of uh, the new vision of aging and what it means for women and how women are taking the lead. Uh, Peter, I mean, it, it is a fact that women live longer and that's, uh, that's what is at the bottom of, of a lot of those things. But there's also things like uh, we're seeing a big phenomenon of uh, late life divorce and women take time out of their careers to care for children. So, uh, you know, they end up poorer for other reasons as well, sort of for the same reasons that affect younger women too. You said it best. I mean, the the, the older women in interna- International Women's Day hasn't been celebrated. They're the ones who made all this happen. They they were the trailblazers. They they worked and cared for children, and um, and it's an awful it's it's an awful um, testament that that we haven't protected them uh, during the pandemic. Uh, you know, not only with um, you know the income gap, but as well, um, over eighty, I think sixty percent of the deaths. I was looking at the totals today. Sixty percent of the deaths in the over eighty age group have been women, and um, you know it, they've taken it on the chin during the pandemic. And and uh, you know today's a day we can celebrate them. Not only you know remember those who inspired us, but also the women on the front lines who who make up the bulk of. Uh, you know the the frontline workers. Ninety uh, percent of PSWs are women. You know, so so it's just a day to sort of uh, 
celebrate the accomplishments and also acknowledge the the impact that COVID has had on them. Yeah, and and Bill, you know, I find it very interesting that, uh, uh, and I don't know if it's a a function, if it happened because of a good or a bad thing, that so many of our public officers of health, the public health people leading, are women and. I don't know if uh, that's a function that maybe there were there were fewer barriers in that aspect of medicine, but uh, it's something that you know we can't help but notice. Well, we we certainly do, and uh, one one of the reasons that I am personally aware of because the the work that I've done in the past with Dalhousie uh, Medical School students is uh, I've been doing that for twenty years, and twenty years ago. Uh, medical schools were filled with 90% men and 10% women. Now it's, it's the opposite in Dalhousie as I see the new students coming in. So certainly more women are more moving into the medical uh, field. More women are becoming specialists and more of them are giving uh, leadership, all of which is, is a good, uh, is a good thing because frankly, with, in the area that I work with them, which is in terms of communication, and what we might call bedside manner, frankly, women are better at it than men. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Monday... Everyone was reacting to the two-hour interview with Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle, that aired in North America on Sunday night, which focused on why the Duke and Duchess of Sussex split with the royal family. The two most explosive revelations that Meghan Markle reached out for help because she was feeling suicidal during her pregnancy and the palace denied her. And Harry said someone in the royal family questioned how dark baby Archie's skin would be based on concerns around Meghan's mixed race. Issues around paying for the couple's security also loomed large. Libby Snymer was joined by Kim Honey, deputy editor of Zoomer magazine, to talk about the royal revelations. You know, it was it was astonishing to watch in the minute, but I have to say after watching it, I've so many questions too. You know, I mean, the visceral response to Megan talking about race and how she felt as a biracial woman in, and how she was unprepared. And, you know, I really felt for her. And honestly, you know, it was nothing that she had that hadn't been said before, especially in Finding Freedom, the book that Omwood Scobie wrote uh, was published uh, last fall. Um, Harry, there was a bit of lots of surprises there too. But I mean, I just kept asking questions like, who is saying this? Who is they? Who, who are you? You know, it was just, it was just really unclear. And the, the editor and me afterwards was like, okay, let's drill down on this. So pick a subject. One thing that came out today uh, was that Harry told Oprah off the record after the interview that in terms of making that comment or question about Archie's skin color said that it wasn't the queen or Prince Philip. So who does that leave? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, the thing I thought about that, I mean, when she said it, I, you know, I sort of had this, like I said, a visceral reaction. Like I really, tears sprung to my eyes. And I thought, who would say that? But then, I, you know, and I've, and I have been watching some of uh, Britain's um, 
black pundits and commentators and academics talking about colonialism and how the Commonwealth represents that. So I understand that, you know, as a white person with privilege, I understand that they have a different take on it. So I, I do come at it from that point. I was shocked at first, but then I started thinking, you know, I, I actually didn't know she was biracial until, you know, she she was his right. his girlfriend. Um, and also, uh, I just thought that, um, that, that this had been something that, that the British press had been reporting on with those same black commentators for some time. Like, what would their baby look like? So what I wasn't clear on was whether someone was saying, oh, it might be a brown or dark baby and that would be bad, or if it was just someone saying, oh, they're going to make beautiful babies what they look like. Now, I'm not trying to be an apologist. I'm just sort of trying to be a bit of a devil's advocate. It just wasn't clear. Okay, well, I and I don't want to cast dispersions, but, you know, he he was on about uh, his problems that he's having with his father, Prince Charles, and mm-hmm. and they weren't speaking for a while, and, and uh, that would uh, leave the suggestion that it was Prince Charles or his yeah, partner. That's, I, mean, I, mean, the thing I is, mean, through the whole, yes, especially with the clarification today about the Queen and Philip not coming from them, you think the finger's being pointed at Charles. But I kind of find that, I mean, yes, they have, uh, of course, the institution is inherently, you know, it's, it's as people are saying today in Britain, um, even the Editors Association of Britain came out and said, oh, you know, whatever Harry said about us isn't true. We've covered their, you know, good deeds. Um, we're not inherently racist. And even one of a female white editor came out and said, you know, I can't, I can't really sign on to that comment. You know, I don't think that's true. So, you know, I mean, uh, but Charles is just sort of this hippy-dippy guy who's all about the environment. I, You know, I find it hard to believe that um, he would be so overtly racist to his son. I just don't know. We don't know. That's the other thing. That's yeah. my point here is that there is their story. Um, we'll never hear the Queen's story or Charles's story because, you know, it's, the the whole thing is don't comment, no comment, right? So there's a truth in there somewhere in between, but we just don't have enough information to say who who said it and how racist it was. And, you know, obviously uh, she felt that it was extremely racist, and that's the feeling I got from that interview. Kim Honey, deputy editor of Zoomer magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, relief for small business owners in Toronto and Peel, who were finally able to reopen this past week after months of lockdown. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's exciting news if you're between the ages of 60 and 64. Yesterday marked the official beginning of a pilot project that will see 330 pharmacies in Toronto, Kingston, and Windsor offer the AstraZeneca vaccine to people in that age group. Some family doctors are also involved in COVID vaccinations following an agreement between the province and the Ontario Medical Association that we first reported a week ago yesterday. 
On Monday, Fight Back reached out to Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association, Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, and Dean Miller, pharmacist and president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy. That's when Libby tried to get more details about both the vaccination plans in the pharmacies and doctor's offices. Do you actually already have these vaccines in store and are you contacting your clients? The two questions, uh, Libby. The first one, uh, do we have the vaccines in the pharmacies as as of yet? Um, We're expecting them imminently. So are they in the pharmacies yet? No, they're not. But uh, we, they should be in within the day or so. Uh huh. And uh, second of all, certainly our pharmacies are actively preparing. Uh, they all know sort of the the age range, and uh, they're active with their patients uh, right as we speak. So, if you're in one of the, if you're a patient at one of the pharmacies that that might be involved, you might be getting a call. Justin Bates, uh, is is that right? If you don't happen to be a patient of a pharmacy that's in the pilot project, but you're industrious and you call and you get through to one of them, you can get an appointment. Is that right? That's right. And and pharmacies are going to be utilizing their own booking system. And many have uh, websites where uh, residents can go in Ontario to look at uh, as well as call, uh, call centers and calling in. And some even utilize uh, mobile applications to make it even more convenient for for patients. So we're going to manage this initially, at least uh, through an appointment-based model, because we do expect the demand to be quite significant. And if our experience this fall with the flu season is any indication, uh, we certainly learned a lot and gained insight in how to manage this safely and effectively, given all of the safety protocols that are in place. Dr. Samantha Hill, what's the story with the doctors? I have to say uh, that as soon as I heard about this on Friday, I emailed my doctor and and he knew nothing. (laughs) Fair enough. So let's start with, first of all, how much this is good news. This is amazing that we have all these vaccines coming in and we certainly applaud everyone, Premier Ford, Minister Elliott, General Hillier, and the entire task force for working with us all, all of the health professionals, to make sure that we can get those vaccines to patients as soon as possible. As, as the general likes to say, this is definitely one of these uh, all-hands-on-deck type of situations. As far as the family docs having access, you know, we are in a place right now where everyone is very excited, patients and providers alike, and we have been working with everyone, including all the primary care organizations, to make sure that we can help get the AstraZeneca into the arms of Ontarians by early June. The number one priority, of course, is to make sure that we don't waste any of the vaccine and that we deliver it as fast as possible, just like we did with the flu vaccine. Justin Bates. Well, I think it's just great we're having this conversation. This is a significant milestone to getting people more access and vaccinated. And I think pharmacy, along with primary care and public health, are complementary. And we're going to get this done. And uh, we're excited to uh, participate in the program. Dean. Libby, you and I have talked on this show many times about the importance of that relationship between a patient and their pharmacy. So I'm just encouraging everybody, uh, things get rolling later on this week. Uh, phone your pharmacist. See if they're one of the pharmacies that's participating in this early pilot. The rest will come on uh, later, uh, but definitely uh, reach out uh, and uh Get that vaccine if you're between 60 and 64 in this first group. Dr. Hill. 
Thank you so much. So I just want to stress that your doctor is here to answer your questions. We are very excited to be working collaboratively with the public health units and the pharmacists to make sure that we can get as many Ontarians vaccinated as quickly, efficiently, and safely as possible. If you can get a vaccine, get that vaccine. Do not worry about it. Do not stress about it. Ask questions you need to ask and then go forth and be vaccinated. Dr. Samantha Hill, President of the Ontario Medical Association. Dean Miller, Pharmacist and President, CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy. And Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, the stay-at-home order was lifted here in Toronto, Peel, and North Bay, Perry Sound. While North Bay went into the red zone of restrictions, Toronto and Peel started the reopening process in the gray zone, which allows for non-essential retailers to reopen at 25% capacity. It's a relief for small business owners like Zoomer Radio friend Tom Mahalik, owner of Tom's Place in Kensington Market. He joined Libby on Tuesday. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Oh, that's nice. I cannot believe that yesterday or the day before, we couldn't let anybody into our store. What a great relief. What a great relief. You know, all those, I, I gained about 10 or 12 pounds in the last a uh, few months because of the lockdown, but I feel that I feel much so much lighter now that I can allow a customer to come into our store. At but least you me. have clothes, Tom. You can uh, easily find something in a bigger size. Yeah, yes, yes, I definitely can. And I know there are some restrictions and we still have to be careful. And we know all the COVID protocols and it's in place in my store. They always have been. Tom's Place is a much bigger store than people think it is. It's on two floors, and we have 20,000 square feet of spectacular merchandise, and it's been locked up. And, you know, we have customers that are walking on the street, and they're coming in and saying, Tom, thanks God you're open. Thanks God you're still here. Of course we're here. But a lot of businesses are not as fortunate as, as us. Did people come yesterday, and what, what was their, you know, mood about coming into the store and yeah it's it's a one-off store so it's not like going into a mall and all of that stuff we, we sold we sold yesterday three suits couple of sport jackets we sold some sweaters we sold some belts uh, we sold some socks and for us this was a big deal it was a huge huge deal that actually customers can come into the store and try the clothing on and that was the key to us that we couldn't allow customers to come and try it on. We sell tailored clothing. It's sophisticated. It's extremely well-made. I just can't put it in a box and give it to a customer. It's got to be tried. We have to do the alteration. So people were happy. They were excited that there's some normalcy back in their life. And we live in one of the greatest cities. And the people that shop shop in our store are the finest people in the world. I'm so proud that after 100 days, we're able to allow the customers to come in. You know, there's nothing like shopping for yourself, touching the fabric, feeling the fabric, trying it on. And, you know, and sometimes you, you might like something, but it's more than what you wanted to spend. At Tom's Place, we can, we can make deals. Okay. You know, at Tom's Place, we do give deals. 
Okay, we know that. Um, so what about your neighbors? Uh, are you uh, worried that some of your neighbors won't be getting back in business? Thank you very kindly. That's a very important question that you asked me. You know, sometimes we forget, you know, now that my troubles are over, my neighbors' troubles are still here. I would like to see some of the restaurants to to be able to be served on the inside. Only a few customers. And I hope that my my friends that are in the restaurant business that can stay in the business. A lot of them are right at the less legs, but the weather's getting better and that gives them a lot of hope that maybe the virus will will, you know, it's not gonna go up, it's gonna go down, so the government or the medical officers will allow them to open up. It's been a tough, tough year. Toronto has been locked down, as a matter of fact, for 200 days. I mean, this is the greatest city in the world, the biggest city in Canada, and we're locked down for 200 days. That's a lot. Tom Mahalik, owner of Tom's Place at 190 Baldwin in the heart of Toronto's Kensington Market. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Pat in St. Catharines phoned on International Women's Day with her thoughts. Women should remember that um, we didn't we didn't even get vote till 1918 when the suffrage the people had to protest to get the vote. So, and that's not that long ago. Marlene in Scarborough called with a question about new residents in long-term care. My concern is with long-term care. Uh, we know it's fluid. By that, I mean that when somebody dies in a long-term care bed, there's at least 10 people on a waiting list waiting for that bed. When that happens, and I'm sure there's been some some changes made to admittance because of COVID, but those people that are coming into the facility have, in most cases, not had their shot. What is the plan for those people? Are they going to be visited and given the shot, or are they going to fall through the cracks? Dave in Brampton phoned to talk about his experience with booking a COVID-19 vaccine. My son-in-law went online to do uh, to get me the vaccine. He had no problem. And then my, I told my neighbor about this, and he got his daughter to try and get the, him and his wife on. They will not accept two people with this one email. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which is stupid. I mean, she, she could have done both of them, and they don't accept it. They only will let, allow you to do one. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Walter in Hamilton, who phoned and voiced the frustration many are feeling about the COVID vaccine rollout. It seems to me that we in our 70s are shoved 
constantly back and further back at the end of the queue. And the first thing I know, when am I going to get my shot? And what's even worse is that they got this thing on the computer, and I'm not a computer guy. On top of that, how am I going to find out when I'm going to get my shot? Because this province is always playing around, always changing the uh, priority thing or order. Why don't they simplify things? And they do like the other country that succeed. You start with the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, and you work your way down and stop uh, taking different people for different excuse and wedge them ahead of the queue while some of us are shoved back and uh, we're really, uh, literally ignored as if we don't even exist. Those of us in our six, uh, 70s. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us from noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.